two today on the show, an Incredibles family, a few steps on the Via Della Rosa, our actions speak louder than our words, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts right now. That's right. It is time for the CU Weekly, the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. This is episode 377. I am not Father Chris Decker. I am Kathleen Lee. Um, as we know, Father Chris and Father Ryan are across the pond. But joining me this week are Olivia Galino, Associate Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Hello, Olivia. Hello. Yes, we have a guest, Father Ryan Halford, the other, other Father Ryan. He is parochial vicar of St. Jude the Apostle Catholic Church here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Good to have you. Hi, everybody. Jeff Blackwell, of course, is up in space in the Jeff Star One. Looking up there. He's our technical director of CU and commandant of the Jeff Star One near or Earth orbit satellite. Glad to be here, Captain Kaylee. That's a long, that's a long intro. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't write it, though. I love it, though. Of course. I gotta live it. <laughs> you know who else we love? Ed Ball. Yeah, we do. Where is he? He the, is, of course. In the ball pit. In the ball pit. Yeah, yes, yeah. he is our video and graphics director. So glad that you guys could be with us. As you know, as we said, um, Father Chris and Father Ryan are across the pond on assignment, I suppose. They've been posting some really good um, things on their blogs. And if you haven't um, been keeping up with that or you missed the last show, um, it is at Father Chris Decker, all words spelled out, dot com. And you can also fo- follow Father Ryan at frhumphreys.com. And we'll put all that in the show notes. But we want to welcome our other Father Ryan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just, to say this, I've been asked many times the last few months if I'm looking forward to the going on the Camino <laughs> with Father Chris. And, um, oh, okay. Yeah. Very much so, I am. One day, maybe. But uh, I am not that Father Ryan. (laughs) Even in the planning process of this, when Kathleen would say, and Father Ryan is doing this, and I'm like, Kathleen, Father Ryan's not going to be here. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, we are super glad that you're here, Father Ryan and I, and I guess Olivia, too, um, go, well, Father Ryan and I, I'll speak to that, go back several years. I I don't know, I can't agree before you say it. I don't know what you're talking about. Can't read my mind. I'm sorry, I'm out. working on it. Mm-hmm. But Father Ryan and I have had many, many adventures together, so I'm, I'm very excited that you're here. Yes, Father Ryan, have you been to the movies lately? I have gone to the movies recently. Yeah, seen any good ones? Uh, yep, I've I've seen some good ones. Uh, yeah, do you? Okay. <laughs> Would you care that, to elaborate? That, <laughs> wait, no. Well, I saw a couple weeks ago. I saw The Incredibles too. Olivia, have you seen this? No, and I really want to because I love the original one. The Incredibles is one of my favorites. Father Ryan, you were saying that you like the the original I, as well. I enjoyed the original. I did watch the new one. The new mm. one was very enjoyable, but I did think the original one was better. I don't no. remember mm. the original. <gasps> mm. I know. I don't. This, this movie came, This the second one came because so many people loved the first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. For, for the last decade, they were like, we need a second one. Yeah. So they finally delivered. Yeah. I loved it. I took my two nephews um, a couple weeks ago when I was in Denver. We went on an adventure and took them to the movies. It was Cameron's first time. Cameron is four, um, so it was great fun. Did Um, they get any ideas from the baby in the movie? No, thankfully. (laughs) Thankfully. They were, you know, they were talking, though. It was a little bit darker. Like, there were times when Cameron reached up and, like, grabbed my hand. I was like, Hmm. uh, you know, he was a little scared. But... It has a really good message, I think. Mm. And there were some hidden nuggets in there 
um, as well. Right? So this new sequel to the original that everybody loved um, contains some very timely messages about family life. Of course, it's a family of superheroes right? Um, who have, uh, in this movie, not to, not to spoil anything, have um, had to hide parts of, of who they are at superheroes. They've had to go kind of into um, hiding. Witness protection. Hmm. Yeah. And, and while it is a kid's movie, right, with a typical, typical superhero's plot, um, The Incredibles 2 also portrays a family reality that might speak to you and me, right, in our own families, um, right, with themes of, like, family unity and thinking mm -hmm. of each other and the, the difference in familial roles, like, what is my role? What is my place in the family? Right? All of these topics are touched upon in this new movie. Um, and some of the most interesting ideas are, get ready, because we have a list. Yeah, we do. As hmm. we love here at the underground. Right? Number one, in the family, everyone has an important role. Right? No matter how many attempts Bob and Helen, who are the parents, uh, make to remove the children from the problems and obstacles they face, uh, it's the kids who end up saving the day over and over again, which I think is really interesting because um, nowadays with parents, and, and I, disclaimer, am not one, so <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, uh, but being a teacher and watching, you know, interacting with a lot of, 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 you know, families and parents, there's a tendency to try to protect your child, right, from the problems they may face or the dangers or mm. difficulty or suffering, right? Often we want to uh, take responsibility away from children and just let them enjoy life, right? Let them be free. Um, but life teaches us, adults, children alike, um, like it taught Bob and Helen, the parents in The Incredibles, uh, that we can't keep them away from reality, right? And suffering really is a part of that. If we give them the chance, they, children, right, can show us uh, that they are capable of very big things, even in the face of this kind of adversity, you know? Um, and, and I think for me, you know, being a teacher, I reflect a lot on how, you know, my parents were really good at letting us, <laughs> that sounds horrible, but like letting us suffer, yeah. right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, when the stakes are low, I mean, because there's a difference between protecting your kids from society versus preparing them to engage society. Sure. And so mm -hmm. I think parents need to find, especially when the stakes are low, to find ways to be a little bit adventurous, to learn, you know, cause and effect and yeah. have a realistic way of engaging the world. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, I'm always shocked that if we, you know, when we talk about young people, I was like, oh, they won't get it. They won't understand. And I'm like, mm -hmm. man, just give them a chance. Mm -hmm. See what happens. Right. So number two, uh, the theme that together is always better. Right. The strength of the family lies in its unity. Hello. Sounds mm -hmm. very simple. Yet I think something that is not evident in our society today right the film shows that the incredibles are stronger when they're together when they mm -hmm. help each other out it's a great message to give to our kids uh whatever happens your family will always be there for you and you can always count on them thank you mm -hmm. jeff right to help you even in the most difficult moments of your life i think a lot of times growing up um that was something that i was blessed with is you know my parents were always like whatever whatever happens mm -hmm. call us yeah. yeah you know um i think a lot of times as young people are like, they'll never understand. They're going to kill me, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, but I was really fortunate to have parents who were just like, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So number three, um, fatherhood and motherhood are the work of superheroes. Mm. Right. What? 
Yeah, when we see Bob, so the, the dad, right, trying to survive, taking care of his three children, the mom goes off to work yeah. as a superhero. He's left with these, you know, three crazy <laughs> kids, right? We realize that being a parent involves more effort and work than being a superhero. He, he realizes that, mm-hmm. yeah. that he's more exhausted at the end of the day trying to take care of his kids, you know, than he is when he's out on the streets saving the world, yeah, right? And even Edna, um, Edna, the this hmm. woman. Edna Maud. Edna, 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 <laughs> right? She tells Bob in this beautiful, you know, this beautiful phrase, right? He says, she says, done right, fatherhood is a heroic act. Done right. Hmm. right? So when our parents are good, uh, or, you know, are, are invested in their role, um, when, they, when they do the job of, of being moms and dads, right? That's the work of a superhero. Right. Um, And it's everyday stuff. It's everyday, like doing the laundry and, you know, preparing meals for their kids as they shove them out the door to go. Uh, You know, watching my friends who are young parents, you know, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this speaks also to a struggle we had that sometimes we think the work outside of a house is more valuable or more difficult than the work inside the house. And I think that's one of the things is just because it often doesn't get a paycheck or it doesn't isn't as honored in our society. Actually, the the work, the economy of the household is really where our work outside of the house is supposed to be ordered. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Beautiful. And that leads us to number four, that true love takes sacrifice. Absolutely, right? In the film, we see how Bob, the dad, right, takes care of the children so that Helen, the mom, can go out to work as a superhero. And this is a huge sacrifice for him right? because um, what she is doing is what he dreams of, hmm. right? Um, but he is able to sacrifice himself for his wife and for the good of his family, for his children, and he does it um, with dedication and joy, right? Not always in, this, in the film. He struggles a little bit, right? But um, but this is the sacrifice that he realizes that he's called to make. And in doing so, he realizes the enormous value of his wife's work right, in their home. Right? A lot of times you see this a lot stereotypically, generally, with dads who have to maybe stay at home with their children for a sick day or something like that, or mom goes out of town. And they realize all of the things that their wife does without, you know, that just get done. You know, and I, I, you know, Olivia, I don't know if you ever, if your mom ever did this, but, you know, all the things that just happened in your life mm-hmm. when you were growing up mm-hmm. and you realize one day, like maybe when you move out on your own, somebody had to do that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm very acutely aware of that now that I like, I have my own house and mm-hmm. <laughs> even the other day I was, I found like a huge spider web and yeah. I've been in there for like two months. Like how have they had already had time to move in? And I'm still not there yet, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, oh man, so yeah. I gotta do this now, and I gotta I gotta paint the bathroom, and, <laughs> and I gotta I gotta fix the sprinkler. I, I gotta mow the lawn too. And I'm, I'm thinking of all these things. And I'm like, mm, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Because yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. uh-huh. as I'm thinking of things, it's just unfolding on itself, and I'm realizing like this is on me now. Like this is this is wholeheartedly my responsibility. And like thanks be to God, but I'm also starting to realize that that's a that's a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even, you know, even today as, you know, this is our first show with Father Chris being gone, you know, I came in and Father Chris has left us plenty of instructions, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, I, and even in this relationship, I'm realizing what love he has for the show, yeah. all the things that, you know, and he's like, and then you have to wait, and then you have to upload this, and it takes 12 hours, and then you have to come <laughs> back. I'm like, wow, like, yeah. that's incredible, yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. So number five, right, if we want to be happy, 
there are times when we have to sacrifice and give up certain things. Yeah. Right? But this change of plans made by others and with love will surely bring many good things to our family. Right? And so what a beautiful gift that this movie is, this film is, that it refocuses on the family. Um, you know, and, and, and in a beautiful way, talking about the sacrifice of parents and, uh, you know, um, highlighting the idea that these, this couple, this whole family really is superheroes, right? But that this couple, that's not their greatest role, right? That's not who they are, um, that they are first mothers and fathers and, and members of that family, the Incredibles. Mm. One of the other things I wanted to kind of highlight, this has nothing to do with family, but I think this film is, is pretty genius. So we're in the middle of watching it, and the, the, um, the, the bad guy, his name is Screenslaver. Mm. Mm. Poignant? I think so. Mm. And so we're watching it, you know, and I've got two little ones on, on the side of me, and they're like, oh, can we have more popcorn? Like, where's my drink? And I'm like, he's saying something really important Mm -hmm. but he you know is talking about this idea that that you know the other theme of the movie is how we have become slaves to our screens slaves to our electronics and he has this incredible monologue and i want to read just a little part of it and uh and it just really struck me as something like commentary you know where they're where at the same time that they're building up the family this movie is also pointing out where we as humanity you know, are, are really lacking. So he says this, he says, superheroes are part of a brainless desire to replace true experience with simulation. You don't talk, you watch talk shows. You don't play games, you watch game shows. Travel, relationships, risk, every meaningful experience must be packaged and delivered to you to watch at a distance so that you can remain ever sheltered, ever passive, ever ravenous consumers who can't free themselves to rise from their couches to break a sweat never anticipate new life oh my gosh i mean what yeah what like this incredible refocus Mm. like you know he's calling us out like and i yeah at this point as an adult in the movie theater i'm like "Uh uh-huh right it's so true the screen told you all that yeah the screen told me all that i'm like yes screen saver yes right (laughs) but at the same time that this this movie is highlighting look this is where you are as a society it's also pointing back to the family and Mm. saying this is where it starts this is where your interaction, this is where your new life comes right, from. Right. Right. This is where you should be playing, where you should be talking to each other, you know, not sitting back and watching it done on a screen. Mm. Pixar, yeah. Disney. I, yeah. I mean, Who I would recommend. That? I want to I yeah. shake that person's hand. Right? Whoever wrote that. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's beautiful. You can probably find them on Facebook and like their page. Probably. Mm. Yeah. You, that defeats the point. <laughs> I need the human interaction, Father. I was trying I to make a point. His name was Disney, Walt Disney. I, I am a credit watcher, and this is one of those. It would it, it serves you well to stay through the credits and watch yeah. it to the very end. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, you know what else is incredible? Oh, what's that? That you have found us here at the Catholic Underground. <laughs> right you are listening maybe watching we don't know the catholic underground but we're glad that you're here we're online at catholicunderground.tv i'm kathleen lee jeff blackwell olivia galino and father ryan hofford are here and our picks of the week are coming up but first there is one thing father ryan that we need to be reminded of yes yes there is 
Funny you should ask. Um, so the article uh, by a father, Bill Beck, uh, Peckman, is focusing on what every Catholic must remind himself to stay humble. Hmm. And so the important insight from the article is that he, you know, he kind of reflects on his own role within the church. He says, I can be replaced. I will re- be replaced. And I'm totally okay with that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the, the, the reality is that something we can all learn, whatever ministry we're involved, whatever good work we're doing, um, we have, you know, we have a contribution to make. And maybe that's sure. the question. How can we make a contribution? But how can we make way for the contributions of others and be okay when we're ultimately replaced, that we need to pass on the torch. And so we have a role, but it doesn't revolve around us. And then he goes on to explore four points related to this. He says, you know, first, the church existed before us, and it's going to exist after us, right? He says, the Roman Catholic Church has existed for nearly two millennia before me, and it will exist long after I am gone. And so I think even for all of us, when we think about the time we have here, relatively speaking, it's very short. Our work that mm-hmm. we contribute to the body of Christ now, today, it's historically brief. Um, and so we're here today, but we're going to be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean our work is insignificant, you know, but that salvation history is a community effort, right? Even as you're talking about early, the role of the family. I mean, the church is a spiritual family. And so we take up these roles of spiritual brothers, sisters, mm-hmm. mothers, and yeah. fathers, and, you know, new life coming through this. Um, his second point is, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the credits, that via Dolorosa, that way of suffering, mm-hmm. that we must imitate the Lord, that we have a role in the earthly pilgrimage, that we are going to suffer uh, for, for the sake of love on the behalf of others, on behalf of our, uh, the church. And in doing so, that this will not come to an end until the resurrection. And so he kind of mentions that, you know, as I'm carrying the cross, right, sometimes we're, we're surrounded by hostile haters, but each of us, like Simon the Cyrene, we have our turn in carrying that cross. Um, this reminded me of the, the verse from St. Paul to the Colossians where he says, you know, I, make, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, right? But yeah. in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of the church, I don't know if you've ever been challenged, but like what's lacking in the afflictions of the church yeah. of, of Christ in the afflictions of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and in reality, like his, his sacrifice, there's nothing lacking objectively, mm-hmm. um, except that he chooses for us to participate in a role that takes seriously our freedom. And so basically St. Paul is saying my participation, you know what I, I rejoice in taking up my role for the sake of participating in Christ's sacrifice. Mm. I think that's really beautiful that, you know, we each participate in each other's salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love the, like, the idea that, um, you know, when I, when I visualize the way of the cross, and that's something like, I, I hate that I wait until Lent to do it, but I wish that I did it more. Um, that when we, when we talk about the way of the cross and, and walking that with Jesus, um, just the idea that, like, he didn't do it alone, and we mm-hmm. don't do it alone. Like, that there were so many other people there. Right, and then that in that moment, I think one of the greatest things I I, I believe was it was Dr. Brant Petrie told me in one of my classes. He said Christ didn't walk the way of the cross so that we could stand back and watch him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that we could join him on the cross. Mm-hmm. Right, that we could participate in that. Right, that we could we could be participants in that 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 way. Right, the yeah. walk. And even Pope Benedict, when in Space Salve, when he's talking about like the realities of uh, of the af- of the afterlife, whatever that is, um, he he says, I think it might even be in the section on hell. Um, he's talking about uh, how no one is saved alone, uh, mm-hmm. no one is condemned alone, 
um, and no one sins alone, but I reverse the order. So it ends on hope, obviously. But, um, but yeah, that idea that no one is saved alone, that your, your actions, uh, your prayers, your intercessions, um, and then the things that you, you know, that you do within the body of Christ to build her up, um, in the church, like those have real efficaciousness. Yeah. 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 So the idea that our, because sometimes I think we have this false notion of salvation. It's just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. But like, mm-hmm. no, like his body is the church and he calls us to be spiritual family. And so, you know, we each participate in Christ's salvation. Um, and this, comp- this is not never in competition with his work, but it's a participation, right? Because yeah. um, some people think like, oh, salvation is either all Christ or all man. And it, obviously we, it's, it's principally Christ. But like, no, it's it's all Christ. But he does so in a way that it's also 100% man, fully mm-hmm. divine and fully human, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And this really goes well into that third point. He says, you know, God chooses us to make our picking up of the cross necessary and important, efficacious. Yeah. You know, and so this is the Lord invites us. I, I think this is what we were seeing earlier with that thing about family. You know, that do can parents invite their children to have meaningful ways to participate in the work of the household? Sure, yeah. Right. And not because it's it, the parent, like, you know, when you think about a mother cooking, like she might be able to do it more efficiently, better, but like the child wants to help and she's going to find ways, even though it's messier, yeah. it takes more time um, because she, she knows it's good for that child. And so likewise, there's this profoundness that Christ in taking on our human weakness, he really allows himself to become so weak, so physically weak that he in that moment needs the help of Simon of Cyrene, and that plays a necessary and important role of helping him carry that cross to Calvary. Mm. And so that cross in our lives, it represents, you know, he goes on to say, this dying to the self, which allows us to live out that vocation of love to which we are each called. Mm. Now he's speaking about it, you know, this brief article from the perspective of a priest, right? This call to embrace the life of Christ, of selfless service, um, to make Christ present in the sacramental life of the church. And so as a priest, like, fulfilling these duties, this is just a small way we pick up a piece of the cross and and walk, you know, for several decades of or years of life, you know, until someone else comes and takes our spot. Mm. And so, yeah, just that reality. And he says that, like, I'm okay with being replaced, but I think this is one of the great troubles is, are we ultimately okay with someone coming and doing the things we do? I mean, this is a part of the spirituality of old age as we, you know, our children take up the responsibilities as the next generation comes and takes up the role. Are we okay with allowing them to take up the role they need to do in terms of uh, participating in the salvation of the church? Fourth, uh, and he says one of the primary jobs is to raise up other disciples who willingly and joyfully embrace their part of the cross. Um, I think to like this is the the mission of the mass, right? The word mass, which means missa, the the, the sending forth, mm-hmm. that we are to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that Christ has commanded of us. And so I think it's a beautiful reminder that true leadership does not create a cult of personality. It doesn't make ourselves irreplaceable, but is really meant to enable the gifts of others. To be able to identify that, like, look, you have this gift, like, come and help me. Yeah. Come and participate. Come and bring it to the table. Yeah, I definitely think there needs to be more of that in in our ministry. A lot of times, mm-hmm. like, we build ourselves up as, I'm going to walk away from this, and this is my, like, my, my legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people just pick up and walk. But some of the greatest ministers I've ever you know, ever seen in the church have been those who have, when they're walking away from, from a ministry, have brought someone else in mm-hmm. and said, you have like, as I am, am, you know, like 
you know, as I am rising I'm ascending to, success, to the Father, yeah, yeah. like, like you too, I'm, you're coming with me because mm-hmm. I see this in you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not a one person job. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how many more people can I get to come with me? Yeah. And it also doesn't become just like that. I like that phrase cult of personality. It doesn't just yeah. become one person and their idiosyncrasies and their talents. Sure. Um, and everything kind of revolves around that um, to the point where when they leave, then um, then everything falls apart because it was built. That was the crux in the middle. Yeah. And so are you are you referring to Father Chris leaving and the show not falling apart? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's yet to be seen. Uh, I'm referring to <laughs> Oh my gosh, he is our crux now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think. Why are you trying to get me in trouble? What? <laughs> Other Father Ryan? You're not coming back. No, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> He's gone. Can we just go ahead and unplug his yeah. mic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in another sense, I think there's also like we become so. Uh, identified with the work we're doing that if we don't pass it on if there's other people the lord is calling to Mm -hmm. it we not be prepared to take on the next thing that he's calling us to Mm -hmm. yeah and so how do we help people have their find their strength their voice to bear one another's weaknesses so we can all make a contribution to the church and Mm -hmm. show forth god's glory Mm -hmm. and so i think this is it we're all called to carry our crosses with and for the church with each other and so um you know i think this raises some important challenges one is how do we see our roles in the church? You know, how do we see us participating in the sacrifice of Christ, uniting mm-hmm. that to him? Um, how do we see our contributions? Do we sacrifice for our own glory or for God's glory? Yeah. How can we have that spiritual indifference so that when, you know, some good thing we're doing, it's not getting in the way of the better thing the Lord is calling us to. And that can, have we done our work so that this can survive without us, that this good work can continue and the gospel can be carried on into the next generation? Or... Would we rather see the ministry to be destroyed than for it to survive without us, Mm. right? Rather than me being removed, right? Like, no, this is going down with me, Mm. you know? And I think this is is contrary, right? And so, you know, he kind of comes into that end insight. We must decrease so that Christ may increase. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there, you know, I I definitely, you see this um, with the, you know, you see it, and I'm going to pick on priests a little bit, love mm-hmm. them very dearly. Uh, but you see it with priests who come into a parish, um, and then after after their assignment's done, they yeah. leave. You know, and it's heart it's heartbreaking for me as someone who's who knows kind of, you know, what 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 the church is all about for them to say, well, I'm not going to church anymore because Father Ryan's not there. Mm. Yeah. Or you know, or, or you're going to follow yeah, him. Yeah. Right. And you're going to separate yourself from the good of that parish. Right. right. And then that yeah. parish suffers from mm-hmm. their from that those people's gifts. You know, but the idea of yeah, like, you know, this is all about me or in the ministry. Like I've, mm-hmm. I have built this up so that no one else can do it, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and when I walk away, that's just it. Either yeah. the ministry dies, the parish dies, you know, or they have to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody is empowered. Nobody is, is recognized. Like these are your gifts. I see you coming in right after me and just running with it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And, and just in some of those situations, like I've been told, you know, like, you're going to do so well. Mm-hmm. You, your guests are going to make it so different. Yes, indeed. Humility, man. We need it. But we are humbled that you are here with us. We're going to take a quick break, but we are the Catholic Underground. We'll be right back. A prayer for vocations. O God, who wills not the death of a sinner, but rather that he be converted and live, 
Grant, we beseech you, through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, St. Joseph, her spouse, and all the saints, an increase of laborers for your church, fellow laborers with Christ, to spend and consume themselves for souls. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Welcome back. You have found the Catholic Underground with me, Kathleen Lee, joined by Olivia Galino, Father Ryan Halford, mm-hmm. Jeff Blackwell, he's up in space. Yes. Ed Ball's in the pit. <laughs> Our picks of the week are coming up. But first, y'all, I don't know if you follow Bishop Barron, but yeah. I mean, he's yeah. pretty legit. If you don't, you need to. Because the you stuff that is yourself. coming through that man from the Lord, incredible. Mm-hmm. And he has um, put out a new article right about what we do right olivia and why it's important yeah. actually i think this one might be old i think this might be like an anniversary thing oh, like cool. oh from the archives kind of thing because mm. i'm pretty sure he wrote this when he was just father oh yeah look it says, it says 2011 yeah so we My got bad. like the seventh anniversary this right. day in 2011 <laughs> we're bringing it back <laughs> well just think about it. one day all of these will be compiled in some sort of like I don't know, 10 volume anthology mm-hmm. of all of Bishop Barron's writings. Like you can see that, can't you? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can see it. I'll spend the latter half of my life reading that. Oh yeah. I mm, I can't Catching even keep up. up with the stuff that he writes every day. And I'm like, bruh, don't you got like like emails? To... Okay. Um, but no. So um, yeah, this is actually a topic that's kind of really close to my heart. Um, so one of the things, if you're not familiar with Bishop Barron, is that he is uh, in my estimation, one of the most intellectual um, men that we have, uh, especially as a bishop, but he has an acute ability to be to bring it down to the popular level, to bring it down to the level of the people without sacrificing any content, without sacrificing any right. meaning. Um, because he, with the church, desperately wants people to be able to understand the richness of our faith. And he has a, a very particular ability to do that. I, I think about like Dr. Brant Petrie is one of those two. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Incredible. Um, so, um, Bishop Barron is talking about some of the works of John Paul II that don't maybe get as much press, um, especially if you're not like in grad school or you're just not super interested in John Paul II and like phenomenology. Um, but he's highlighting, um, in one of his writings, um, Bishop Barron is the fact that from the 1950s to the 19, to the late 1970s, um, Carol Voitia, who became Pope St. John Paul II, he was actually a professor of moral philosophy at the Catholic University of Lublin in Poland. Um, that's like a, I feel like that's a little known fact, even though he was there for two decades, like people don't really remember that about him, but he was, um, and he actually specialized in sexual ethics and what we could call today, like marriage and family life. So that's why you have these John Paul II institutes on marriage and family all around the world, because this is something that's very, very deeply, um, seated in his heart. And what a beautiful thing that like, you know, we talk about this, that he wasn't married, nor Hmm. did he have children, yet he had beautiful insights. Oh. what it what it should look like yeah and i think a part of that is because he spent he spent time with families and, yeah. and with these couples and with people and he journeyed with them and i think that's important mm-hmm. for priests is that you have to be in and with families in order to have these insights yeah, yeah. and i think he i don't know there's a very particular sense of of john paul ii like he's not afraid to look things in the eye that he doesn't understand 
um, and kind of wrap himself around it. Because you hear about um, how he even, you know, was editing the Theology of the Body Catechesis and Love and Responsibility. And what did he do? He would, like, take people out into the woods, like married couples and families and young people, and he would just ask them questions. He would basically just bounce ideas off of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, I mean, like what you were talking about earlier, like that really places him in a position of, of deep humility to say, this is this is what I know mm-hmm. from an intellectual level. This is what I can intuit, but I want to know if the experience plays out yeah. um, in a way that's real. And and he's willing to sacrifice himself to that. He's willing to put himself below that um, submissio to put himself below the mission of be, of, of promulgating the truth. Um, and I think that's that's so deeply needed even still today. Um, but yeah, so two books that um, that don't get as much press: the acting person, um, which is this rigorous philosophical exploration of Christian anthropology, just what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a human person? Um, And then love and responsibility, which is kind of, people will say it's like the philosophical side of theology of the body. If theology of the body is the theology, then love and responsibility is like the philosophy that comes before it. Um, So it's it's an analysis of love, sex, and marriage um, from that, from his philosophical view. Because remember, he was a professor of philosophy for many, many years. Because this is is definitely in his wheelhouse. Um, And these texts, both of them together, really provided the foundation for the entire text of the theology of the body and you you see that because these are I almost think about like these these writings as like his mode of thinking he's just letting you into Mm -hmm. this is what I'm working with because it's not what you're used to yeah um and he was I mean he was innovative in his philosophy anyway because he's what we call like a phenomenological Thomist um which basically just means that like he's very much in the in the school of Thomas Aquinas um he he like upholds the tradition and has a very systematic way of thinking, but he also really like phenomenology is just like looking at human experience. And that's, I mean, that's what theology of the body is. It's looking at humans, fundamental human experience and saying, okay, what do we know about ourselves by looking at these things? And he marries those things, Hmm. marries those things together in a way that, that I think just has so much potential for just centuries of fruit, centuries of fruit. Um, But anyway, so Rounding back to the point, I'm gushing a little bit, um, but <laughs> Why not, he, um, particularly in the acting person, which is, I've read parts of it, it's really hard to find, um, and I don't even know how many copies are available in English, because it's just, like, really obscure, but I've read parts of it, and it's really challenging. Do you remember reading any of this? I have not read the acting person. I've read uh, yeah. Love and Responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, I've only read paragraphs of the acting person, because I don't speak Polish, um, yeah. but uh, it's really convicting and really challenging, but basically, like, the the thrust of what he's dealing with is um, that when you're making an ethical decision, a moral agent um, does not only give rise to a particular act, but he also mm. contributes to the person he's becoming. What does that mean? That means that I can't do something with my with my person, with my my mind, with my hands, whatever. I can't do something without it affecting who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, he's getting to the heart of like our character is not separate from our person. Um, so you, and I think he's really just drilling down to, okay, well, can I say that I'm still a good person even if I do things that aren't so good? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a pretty pervasive moral problem today. Yeah, and I think it's really speaking to the fact that God has called us to be co-creators, to mm-hmm. you know be able to not only participate in ordering creation, but also ordering ourselves, our own internal garden. And so I think uh, one of the ideas that I've you know one of the illustrations I like is the, the person, the ethical person as as an artist. Mm-hmm. 
who through his art, through his actions is, is participating in the, the beauty of himself. Yeah. That's right. Beautiful. So just like an artist makes a, a work of art and they're painting and they're, you know, mine or they're sculpting, um, they are bringing something, you know, the role of the artist is they bring something beautiful in the world, something true, something that speaks, that reveals, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they, they are co-creating. Yeah. And likewise, we have a role in co-creating ourselves with God yeah. that we, through our actions and through our decisions and our sacrifices towards love, can make ourselves more beautiful or we can make ourselves distorted or something hideous. Like we have, the God gives us that that participatory role in our own our own work. Yeah, no, and that's a really good point. Just about like virtue ethics in, mm -hmm. in general. Like I think we have this idea that um, that there's a just a very black and white way of looking at it. Like I am not virtuous now, but I will I will be virtuous one day. And there's just some kind of abyss between those hmm. two states of being. Yeah. Where in, whereas instead, virtue is really just the process of becoming more of who I'm created to be. I'm not becoming something other. You know, I'm I'm co-creating with the Lord um, and making myself the most of what I'm created to be. Mm -hmm. I have the potential for all of this, all of these things, and I have to to exercise that, to work with that. That's very Aristotelian language in order to to make myself entirely who I am with the help of God, of course. Um, but I mean, you, you might see the same principle in sports. Um, so mm -hmm. it's always helpful to, to kind of go back to that because Aristotle does the same thing. So think about like if you swing a golf club or a tennis racket, um, if you do it the wrong way enough times you're going to become a bad golfer or a bad tennis player you're going to have really bad form your mm. shots are not going to go where they want where you want them to um and you're just probably not going to do very well yeah, that kind um, of explains it then I, i'm <laughs> sorry but now i'm picking up what you're putting down go ahead there you go yeah well Carry on. so who says we don't talk about sports in the catholic underground <laughs> welcome come yeah. sit at our feet mark that because that'll be like <laughs> check we did it once for the year <laughs> put them on the list we met our quota um, but no, like, so if you do swing it, like if you have someone first to show you how to swing it correctly mm. and to watch you as you do it, to help you get better. And then you are able to, to perform that action repeatedly, habitually, so mm. that you do in fact become a good golfer, oh. um, provided again that you know the rules and all that stuff, but like your, your form is going to be good. Um, same with like, like powerlifting. I imagine all of these things are theoretical for me, but like the same with powerlifting or basketball. I can relate to that basketball. <laughs> so like if I shoot a hundred free throws, by the end of that, I'm going to be a better free throw player or shooter than I was at the beginning. I'm yeah. going to be better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so John Paul, like I said, is really putting his finger on like a typical problem of our time. And that's this divorce between the idea that I can do lots of bad things, but still be a good person. And I think that that's kind of tied into this whole like, well, I can be spiritual, but not religious. Right. Um, because who I am is different than what I do. And that's really the divide between spirituality, quote unquote, and religion, um, the, the state of being versus the state of doing. Whereas we know that those always flow back and forth mm -hmm. into one another, that it's not it's yeah. not a, even a linear trajectory so that I go from the state of being into the state of doing. But I'm always it's always flowing back yeah. in on itself. The, the catechism actually talks about being um and action as mutually illuminating, right? Mm -hmm. How do we learn who a person yeah. is? By experiencing their actions. And so they, they, we reveal ourselves through what we do. But the more we experience what a person does, we get to have a better understanding of their person, of who they are, to the point that they're mutually illuminating because the more I experience what you do, the better I understand who you are. But the more I understand who you are, the better I can anticipate and understand what you do, right? They're mm -hmm. mutually, yeah. they're reciprocal. And then he, then the catechism says, and this is how God is in relationship with creation. We understand who he is by his works 
in creation. And the more we understand who he is from what he does, the more we're able to understand what he does and what he will do in our own lives spiritually. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Making that um, connection to like discernment. Like um, I've heard someone describe it as um, being able to sniff out God mm. and you only, you can only do that if you know what he smells like, Yeah, Ooh. you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, no. And I think that it, it ties into another interesting um issue that that has been around in the church since i mean really before the church existed um as the catholic church but um but like this problem of gnosticism this problem of like uh, a dualism because really that's what it is like it's this the idea that i can separate the self myself from my body the idea that that my real person is somehow hiding within me and um and it's beyond what i do with the the concrete motions of my body um but that's not a holistic view of the person that's mm-hmm. that's a, a heretical view of the person um, and something that we are still battling today. Um, the idea that, that, that those two things, like you were saying, um, like that they don't have anything to do with each other when in fact they have everything to do with each other. Um, and this is again, like a fight that's been going on in Catholic philosophy and theology for centuries, just absolutely centuries, but it manifests in different ways. And so it's getting this new form in 2018. Um, and in, in, in the, I would say the past like 40 years, um, it's, it's taking on a new form. And so it's important for us to return to these, these basic principles, the acting person. What is that? Who is that? Um, and what does God have to do with that? Um, uh, and so now, um, Bishop Barron, he, he takes an interesting turn, which is really, um, really prevalent, uh, really important. Um, he applies this principle of the acting person, the idea that what I do has bearing on who I am and he applies it to sexual behavior. Um, because how often do we talk about how, um, how like, you know, I can, I can sleep around, I can do whatever I want with my body because it's my body, but I talk about it as if it's something other. Mm -hmm. I talk about my body as if it's something that I have possession over, that's something that I have, um, utility over Mm -hmm. and something that I use to, to complete my will. Um, and that's not, that's not a person. That's, that's some, that's a, someone who's experiencing a divorce of self. Um, and so he, he talks about a study uh, or different multiple studies that have shown that, that teenagers and college students are participating more and more in this hookup culture. This is not anything new, um, but it's an environment. <laughs> oh, Father Ryan, we'll talk later. Um, but yeah, it's just an environment where um, like these casual and impersonal forms of sexual behavior are mm-hmm. just accepted. This is just yeah. the way things are done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the the evolution of the smartphone has not really helped that because you can again continue to divorce the person from the body when things are able to be objectified at you know high speed yeah 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 um and as recently as 30 years ago there was still even among some teenagers a sense that sexual contact belonged at least in the context of a loving or a committed relationship but now today it really appears as though even that small mm. little holdout yeah. is disappearing oh yeah um mm. because again i have an idea that that my body is something other than me that it's something that i can use to fulfill my own will whatever that is and whatever you know wounds i'm acting out of and so then who knows what's gonna happen yeah love doesn't really play a role anymore yeah and and olivia and i we just got off of uh, a young adult retreat uh, oh yeah called echo and we've talked about echo and don mox ministries here on the show um and talking about just this this you know theology of the body and and what it means for us as young adults and uh you know it's at times when i go to echo i'm like this is it like this is this is the last holdout of, of people who believe 
or at least like you know even sometimes I look around and I go I'm not even sure if like everybody here believes that there can't be this many people that believe you know in one place mm-hmm. that that you know that in theology of the body in the act of you know the idea of keeping sex within marriage and the beauty and the sacredness of who we are and uh and you know and in this idea of you know what we do and who we are and, mm-hmm. and how that affects each other um and it can be really discouraging for people who you know who are that small amount who mm-hmm. do feel especially for teenagers man yeah. when you're the teenager who's like yeah, I believe in chastity and, you know, keeping my virginity until I get married. Like, mm-hmm. what a weirdo sometimes people say. Yeah, because you're the only yeah. one. Yeah, and it can be lonely and definitely isolating, even as a young adult, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think one of the the questions that arise when people think about things like sex or sexuality is, is that there's a question, well, what about pleasure? You know, mm, what right. about how can we make sure that I'm going to be able to enjoy life, enjoy myself? And just in anything, if we get too addicted to pleasure, right? I think this is why fasting on a regular basis is so important because if we can't say no to pleasure, we're not going to have the ability to say yes to love, right? Because it's mm-hmm. too hard. It this, this requires sacrifice. Yeah. But uh, and I, I, one of the things I like to tell people is that when the church is looking at relationships and looking at things like sex, her primary question is, what about love? Yeah. yeah. How do we maintain the integrity of making sure that we are not compromising our heart's ability to love? And if we start viewing things that way, it's a very different way of approaching uh, morality. It's a very mm-hmm. different way of approaching what we do with our body and how this reveals who we are and who we are called to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, too, about um, especially about the next part of this, um, basically that, you know, if we if we accept now this this old premise it's not old it's just part of human nature this old premise that um that what i do with my body affects who i am as a person uh, or what i do in general affects who i am as a person then there's going to be ramifications for when i act like it doesn't um or when when someone acts upon me as if it doesn't um and so you know dr leonard Sachs, he's this physician the psychiatrist and he's exploring this phenomenon of the hookup culture and what he's finding is that um, that a lot of people are ending up in his office under the guise of psychiatry and they're just filled with debilitating depression, anxiety, low self-esteem because these things have effects. And I think about um, something that is, uh, is Jean-Luc Marion says, he's another phenomenologist, he talks about the heart being the place where, where um, body and soul meet. Um, and, and so no wonder, you know, when we experience things emotionally or physically, it's our heart that's targeted almost immediately. Um, and so these things like, like depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, like they have a, a real sense of physical pain involved with them because that gateway through the heart is allowing, and again, this is philosophical, but like th- that gateway through the heart is allowing emotional pain to manifest physically mm-hmm. um, and, and vice versa. Physical pain will manifest emotionally. Um, and he says that these these symptoms are a kind of like function of a, a, co- a cognitive dissonance. Um, so the wider society is telling teenagers and everyone that they can behave in a way that they any way that they like, and they can still be quote unquote good people. But the consciences of these young people are telling a different story, and that's the key. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Um, and I've talked with like older people um, and just people who have different different views on on sexuality in in any realm um, about the about these things. What's always interesting is there are very few young people usually involved in those conversations. Um, yeah. And if there is, I feel like the need to be like the token young person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even though I'm, I'm getting older, but <laughs> what's interesting is, uh, is that you bring that into it that like young people know that something's wrong. Oh yeah. They know that they're being lied to. 
They mm-hmm. know that this is not what they're created for. Mm-hmm. And it's met with this like, really? Yeah. Because they were lied to. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the fact that, I mean, it's almost, you got to like praise God for the fact that... Um, that, that if these people are ending up in Dr. Sachs's office, if they're ending up, you know, in front of Father Ryan and other priests, if they're ending up in your office or your, you know, front porch or wherever, and they, they're hurting, then it's, it's at least a fundamental affirmation of the fact that we are created to be whole human persons. Yeah. We're not created to be chopped up into discrete parts and only act out of one part <laughs> or another. We're meant to be whole and complete persons. And so... Like you always got to like go back to Job and just say like, well, blessed be God, like yeah. blessed be God for this pain. Even, even if it just signals me to the fact that I'm human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. One of the greatest things I ever heard was, you know, if I punch you, I don't say like my arm punched you. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my arm punched you. But you know, I, I'm sorry that I punched you. I never punched anybody before, but that, that whole idea that like we are, we can't separate ourselves. Like we can't dissect and just say, you know, that wasn't me. Yeah. It wasn't me. It was not touching you. It was my, it's just my arm. (laughs) You know, there's space between atoms and therefore we can never bridge the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. The acts we perform. Now, Jeff, one of the acts that we like to perform (laughs) here on the Catholic Underground is a little part we like to call the CU Pick of the Week. I'm so glad that worked. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yes. Yeah, thing. Okay, so for our first pick of the week, uh, I think we'll go to Olivia. Well, look at that. <laughs> I can no longer follow Kathleen. It's a beautiful day. Um, <laughs> so my pick of the week, I'm going to have trouble pronouncing, and I'm just admitting that now, but it's Privé Riveau. I don't know. It's sure. the, it'll be in the show notes. Ooh, la, but there's la. sunglasses. Nice. So I lost my other sunglasses. Oh, they really a few are your ago. pick of the week. <laughs> yeah. You thought I was joking. I know. I was giving no, you a hard time. No, these really are my pick of the week. Um, and I feel like, yeah. Okay. Um, don't take those off. It's cool to wear sunglasses inside. Mm-hmm. And at I'm night. not. Don't if you start singing that. And at oh, night. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so I lost my sunglasses, <laughs> and I don't like to spend a lot of money on them. I'm not one of those people where I can spend money on Ray-Bans. Um, even though like they're super nice, but, um, these have great build quality. Um, and they like, they come with a lot of stuff. It comes with this like collapsible, um, uh, sunglasses case so that when you're not, when you're wearing them and they're in your purse or your truck or whatever, then it collapses. It doesn't take up a lot of space, but the build quality is great. They're all about $30, which again is pretty cheap for sunglasses, um, that are going to last you more than 10 minutes. Um, yeah. yeah, And so that they have already taken quite a beating and, you know, I don't have scratches. I don't have major issues. So that's my pick of the week. Very nice. Let's go up to the Jeff star one, Mr. Blackwell. Here's something that's safe and space. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I love um, uh, a tuna fish. I, well, you have to be careful how, how often you eat it. But the star-kissed tuna creations have come out with these bold flavors. And there's a link in the show notes if you're interested. But uh, they are really high in protein, practically no carbs, uh, 70 calories per serving. And uh, they're delicious. Now, this one is the hot buffalo style. I'm holding up to your radio. Uh, and uh, it really, it's it's not that spicy. It's got a little zing to it. But the flavor is great. It doesn't even taste like tuna fish. And then the other one is the jalapeno. Uh, and it's got a little zing to it, uh, kind of a vinegary uh, taste. But uh, really, they're delicious. They're easy uh, and affordable, like a buck uh, to $1.50 at most stores. So uh, that's my pick of the week, the Star Kissed Tuna Creations. Nice. Well, you know so, who's full of zing? 
Father Ryan Hofford, what you got? Zing. All right, so I want to <laughs> take an opportunity to draw attention to uh, it's an apostolate here in the Baton Rouge area called Metanoia Manor, mm-hmm. and it's a uh, yeah. it's a home that is for young women, all uh, minors who have been rescued from sex slavery, from human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a problem in Louisiana and many, many states around our country. Uh, but this is run by some religious sisters, and they're actually having a fundraiser uh, for those in Louisiana, Baton Rouge area, August 26th. It's at the Varsity. It's a, it's a concert, and it's also a fundraiser for them. But, you know, doors open, 3.30 p.m. It's $15 a person, and there's going to be the uh, the Grammy-winning Lost Bayou Ramblers mm-hmm. uh, performing along with a, a more of a local group, the Whiskey Priests. Uh, some of the people we know are in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be 18-plus to get in, and, you know, there's, you get the tickets. Uh, you can go to the Varsity uh, also uh, here in Baton Rouge uh, mm-hmm. and buy those. But for those who aren't in the area and that want to support this mission, you can go to www.metanoia-inc.org. So that's metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A-I-N-C.org. And that will be on the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. There are some other ways to donate uh, to this as well. It's a great, great ministry that's that's you know, popped up here, not popped up. Mm-hmm. They've been working on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's certainly, certainly needed. And so we'll yeah. put ways yeah. to donate that, um, ways to get involved. If you want to come to the event, come on. Yeah. Uh, we'll put all that in the show notes. But, but wait, isn't there a, uh, don't we have a Catholic underground that, that evening? Um, that's, that's Sunday? So, so it's, it's, it's at 3.30. Yeah, it's at 3.30. And so then afterwards, you know, you yeah. Just, yeah, you'll be that's fine. Our, that's okay. our pregame before. <laughs> our pregame. Yes. Well, Gunners. Kathleen, mm-hmm. what is your pick of the week? I have a great pick of the week. Okay, so as a theology um, ogen, theologian, <laughs> theology <laughs> ogen, <laughs> someone who teaches theology Love who's it. now still in school for theology for my mm-hmm. master's, I also feel a lot of pressure to read spiritual books. I don't know yeah. if you like get this yeah. at all. But I grew up like reading all kinds of stuff. I love to read. Um, and now I just don't read for fun. So mm-hmm. I've, I picked up this summer this book. I was actually with, I think I was with Father Chris. We went to Barnes & Noble and just walked around. Um, and I picked up this book. It's called The Residence, Inside the Private World of the White House. And uh, I love this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I love behind the scenes. And wh- what it talks about is it goes through, you know, what goes on uh, with the staff and behind the scenes of mm-hmm. the everyday workings of the White House. I see the words he, Downton Abbey on the front, so I'm in. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Downton Abbey for the White House staff. Oh. That's from today. <laughs> I can do that. It's quoted. I can do like that. I am the kind of person, and Father Chris and I talked about this, how like when you go to the White House and you look out, you know, like we usually go for the March for Life and we're standing outside. I am the one who's not like, wow, look how beautiful this house is. I'm the one going, I wonder where all the snipers are. <laughs> oh, man. And then well, there's like, ways to find out. I know. I know. But <laughs> right. considering that there's always like 450 people in my charge, I would, you know, <laughs> and that my mother would kill me before the, before the, <laughs> <laughs> she would somehow, yeah. Yeah. on a drone. Um, Reviver. Yeah. 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 She'd be like, bring her back. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. It, talks, it goes through all the presidents and how like some of the, the White House, um, hmm. like how the White House staff, you know, responded to them and how, how a lot of the first ladies like would come and redecorate or mm. some of them would come in and be like, oh, whatever. And some of them came in and were very strict. And uh, But I encourage you, I know summer is coming to an end. 
um, to find something that you enjoy reading. Yeah. Well, Kathleen, if you were the first lady, would you redecorate or just go with the way it is? I'd probably redecorate mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit. But I'm, yeah, a, but I'm also about like a tradition, especially American tradition. Like if that's the way that George Washington wanted it, fine by me. Like <laughs> I'm not touching hundreds of years worth of stuff. However, we do need a little sparkle. A little I was bit. about to say, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Some how glitter? many things would have glitter, Kathleen? Man, man, just a conservative <laughs> estimate. Yeah. It's, it's all the original George Washington uh, <laughs> environment with glitter. Yeah, with a little we bit of glitter We just bedazzled this bust. What's yeah. the problem? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it talks about how like they have a, um, bling, bling. there's a flower shop in the White House. What? what? Yeah. And that like, makes oh, sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But I mean, mm-hmm. you, yes, it does. But I would take advantage of that full fledged. See, I'm sitting over here wondering, you're wondering about snipers. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, what do they eat for breakfast? Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, there have been a couple Anything of a couple of want. first ladies who have like moved kitchens, like to the upper to the upper quarters. Oh so they're like, a, yeah, we don't want to okay. come down to the formal. We want, you know, I think it was Jackie Kennedy oh, who created like this family breakfast nook, you know, upstairs, and people were like, uh, can she okay. do that? <laughs> yeah, she can. Uh, she yeah, she did. can because she's the first lady. <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I'd want to be the first lady or the president. Hmm. I could see mm. you as both. No. Yeah, I think I'd fail miserably. I, we, I, we'd get blown up or something if I were the president. No, I have more faith in you than that. <laughs> well, good thing that I'm not, but... For now. For now. Give it time. Give it time. There's always next year. You know, Jeff, we're always grateful for our viewers, our listeners, and our benefactors, right? Indeed we are. And this week, Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash donate. Also, portions of the Catholic Underground are brought to you by audibletrial.com slash Catholic Underground. There's more information at catholicunderground.tv. Absolutely. If you'd like the show notes for this episode... Um, or to subscribe to the podcast audio, go to catholicunderground.com. Our panelists this week's have this week, just this one week, have been Olivia Galino at OM Galino on all the Twitters, Instagrams. Yes. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Our guest this week has been Father Ryan Halford, who is the parochial vicar at St. Jude the Apostle Church here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We're so glad you're with us. Woot. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. Our technical director is Jeff Blackwell. Blackwell.us at Jeff Blackwellus. There you go. On the Instagram and the Twitter, our research assistant and leader of the crew in the lab is Jim Hayes. Yay. Our video and graphics director is Ed Ball. In the pit, you know me. I'm Kathleen. And you're stuck with me <laughs> for four months. It's <laughs> going to be awesome. You can follow me on Instagram at Kaylee626. We hope we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We are the Catholic Underground. We are Faith Gone Digital. And we'll see you next time.